my name is Justin LeClue, and you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And what you're about to hear is a live episode, me, Will Sloan, and special guest Doug Tilly, recorded as part of the What the Film Festival. This uh, episode was recorded at the What the Film Bazaar, which was a marketplace that happened before the films during the weekend, and it was recorded at the Monarch Tavern. Thank you everybody that showed up to listen to us, and everybody else, enjoy the episode. Hello, my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And woo! And today we're doing it live for the What the Film Festival. And we have a very special guest, and that is. I'm Doug Tilly, uh, co host of the Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man podcast. And, and wait, what do you do on that podcast? Uh, we talk about the actor uh, and personality Eric Roberts, uh, one film at a time through his 500 plus film. Filmography, and I'm also the co-host of the No Budget Nightmares podcast, which is going to play into some of what we're going to talk about today. Because today, what we're going to be talking about is our favorite weirdo Canadian films. Mm. And also because we're doing a screening at 4 o'clock of Anchor Zone. (laughs) And if you don't have your tickets for that already, uh, everybody in this room, not everybody listening to the podcast, it's actually a uh, film that was made in 1994. It cost $1.5 million and was meant to kickstart the Newfoundland film. Film industry, and when you see it, you're gonna go, wait, what? Because it's a post-apocalyptic film where Mark Critch from This Hour Has 22 Minutes plays a skateboarder named Rad, <laughs> and it has to be seen to believe we're showing it in 35 millimeter. And I wanted to kind of uh, inspire you to go out and find other films. So we each picked three, and we're gonna go one by one and explain why we picked it and why these movies are. I don't know if I want to say good or great. They're interesting, right? And, and can I just say, Justin, you love Canadian film. Love and, it. But I think you, you, like anybody who really loves Canadian film, uh, can kind of get a little bit down on the idea that there's this established canon of 10 movies. You know, your, your sweet hereafters, <laughs> your, your goings down the road. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it makes Canadian film sound like homework and that there isn't uh, you, you like the byways and the weird avenues. Yeah, because like anyone who talks about Canadian art in any probably shape or form, they usually talk about that it's mostly about failure and people being depressed. And that's not <laughs> completely untrue. Excuse me, a little movie called Duct Tape Forever. <laughs> that's right, Red Green's <laughs> Duct Tape Forever. But like the first film I want to talk about, which is another uh, Newfoundland film, which is The Adventures of Faustus Bidgood. And this is a comedy that was made by a comedy troupe in uh, Newfoundland. And uh, when I looked for this movie, I went, I can't find it anywhere. (laughs) Oh, wait, it's on YouTube. I wonder if Doug Tilly, who is from (laughs) Newfoundland and knows movies, has heard of this. And then I look who uploaded it. It was Doug Tilly. (laughs) But it's really hard to find. It's a really difficult to see movie and it's it's actually kind of embarrassing how difficult it is even back in Newfoundland where I as you just mentioned I'm from so this is a movie that was made from and I'm going to be looking at Doug as I do this just uh-huh. so we can go yes or no that was made from the by the comedy troupe uh, Codco Cod, the fact that you have to to delay because you're not sure about that name uh, it really speaks badly for how Poorly, they've been treated in terms of media availability. But Codco, yeah, the, the comedy troupe that had its own sketch comedy show in the late 80s, early 90s, that eventually evolved into This Hour is 22 Minutes and the Rick Mercer Show and oh, all that Canadian comedy. What was that no the one sketch comedy show? Codco. 
Yeah. Uh, excuse and me. It was really like cutting edge when it played. Like they were a show that, unlike other you know sketch Canadian comedy shows now, like This Hour is Twenty Two Minutes, <laughs> where at some point some of their sketches were actually banned from the air. Yeah. And they like the the, the broadcasters said, "Oh no, no, we can't play that." Yeah, very controversial sketch show. I mean, it was a contemporary of the Kids in the Hall, but I mean, it was considered, I imagine, at least in Newfoundland, around you know at the same level. And mm-hmm. I mean, these these were household names in the on the island and in some parts of Canada, but it's uh, kind of embarrassing that even though they're still very visible on TV, you can't find that material anywhere. And the movie, The Adventures of Foster's Bid Good, like when you say that's about a sketch comedy, you may like imagine that like, oh, it's a bunch of like episodes and they're kind of goofy. And while it is like that, the story being a bureaucrat who's working in a dead-end government job, who has these like uh, Walter Mitty-like dreams of what could happen, it's actually like really... Um, surreal and almost Godard-like in the way that it's constructed. Absolutely. And I think that it's a film that it's kind of shocking that it doesn't get talked about more because its director, uh, Michael Jones, was like the Newfoundland like director and cinematographer. He actually shot Anchor Zone. That's right. And he passed away a few days ago. You yeah, sent me an article it. About was just it. a little over a week ago, I think, he passed away. Yeah, but I mean, he was he was considered and still is the godfather of Newfoundland cinema. He was just had his, his hand in, in all of those different projects. Now... Again, of varying quality, but Faust's Big Good took something like four or five years to make. It was a it was a huge deal at the time, and you know the one Newfoundland movie that doesn't have Gordon Pinson in it, and so it doesn't get released. And That's I right. believe that it did get a DVD release, probably from uh, the people who own the rights, and it was something that they probably just sold at like a convention like this one, mm. and otherwise you can't get it anywhere. No resellers carry it. Yeah, do not sue me for having it on YouTube. <laughs> I'll take it down. Just make it available for people to see. And check it out, because it's really, really good, and it's one that, like, it's a shame that people don't talk about it more. But now, what would you recommend, Will? What's yours? Uh, so I'll talk about a movie that I think is gaining a bit of a cult following, but maybe it isn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's called Ryan's Babe, a film from 2000 and directed by Ray Ramaya, PhD, uh, as, <laughs> as he is billed. Um, this is a Saskatoon-lensed film. It's an odd sort of stream-of-consciousness story of a guy named Ryan, who's an average guy uh, who, um, you know, he's pursued by a beautiful woman who's in love with him, uh, but he has no interest in her. I bet all three of us can, I, can identify <laughs> with that dilemma. But to get his attention, she fakes a suicide, and her pistol-toting father blames him for it. So he goes on the lam, and I had to make some notes on the story. It sends him on a cross-country journey in which he's kidnapped, and then he's mistaken for a big-time drug baron, and then he's mistaken for a murderer, and then he makes his way to Arizona, and then he wins the lottery, and then he becomes a male stripper. And all of this is delivered in a very deadpan way. And there's this... It looks kind of like an early 90s soap opera. Um, It's very professionally shot. Because when I saw the cover of it, we actually have uh, copies for sale on our table over there because they're released by Videonomicon, a little distributor from Saskatoon. And uh, it looks like a goofy 80s comedy. It's like a big muscle man on the cover and women are around him. There's a Canadian flag flying in the background. No, far from it. I mean, you know, the term Lynchian is very overused, but Mm. I mean, there's no other word to describe it. (laughs) It has this synth score that goes through the whole thing and all the dialogue is overdubbed but it's very professionally shot Mm. it's been compared to a movie like The Room where clearly it was just this kind of eccentric madman who got a semi-professional crew around him to (laughs) put together his strange slightly misogynistic vision (laughs) 
Um, and it's a it's a beautiful film. It has a, a very dreamlike ambiance that it uh, sustains, and I think you should show it, Justin. All right, yeah, show it right now. All right, everybody, we're gonna watch Ryan's Babe. So, Doug, what are you bringing to the table? Well, over on the No Budget Nightmares podcast, we focus on micro budget and DIY cinema. That's one of the things I'm most interested in. It's why I come to the What the Film Festival because mm-hmm. we show a lot of kind of variety that kind of fit sort of into those categories. And on the podcast, we featured a few Canadian movies, and we like to kind of showcase them in more detail if we can. And the first movie that I have here is from 2006. It's called The uh, Order of One Kung Fu Killing Spree. Uh, <laughs> oh, you've got my attention. <laughs> One of the things we discovered on the No Budget Nightmares podcast is that you cannot judge anything by its title. Most of the most lurid titles tend to be the worst uh, and most uh, uh, uninteresting movies. This was lens, I think, in New Brunswick, somewhere on the East Coast, mm-hmm. uh, by a, uh, a director named Jason Cavalier. And Jason is a stuntman. He was in 300. He's, that's what he's done lots and lots and lots of stunt work. And he's also a martial artist. But this is basically a no-budget tribute to 70s exploitation movies, of course, mm-hmm. but specifically kind of the Sonny Chiba, uh, Street Fighter-style uh, uh, martial arts movies. Uh, it's very over-the-top. It's extremely violent. I mean, it's Ooh. really, really violent. I know. So every once in a while in this movie, they uh, on the screen comes a star which says Killing Blow and with a, with a <laughs> specific title on it, and that it just precedes one incredible moment of violence, someone's head just getting destroyed. There's a pretty famous moment in The Street Fighter where Sonny Chiba uh, punches someone and it goes to an X-ray vision, right? Mm-hmm. So they try to recreate that in this movie, except they use a skeleton puppet where it just cuts <laughs> to it and the neck just cracks like this. <laughs> it is, it's a beautiful moment and it's exactly the kind of thing that I love to see in micro-budget cinema. And this movie actually is available to watch freely and legally on mm-hmm. YouTube. It's a really low quality copy, but hey, if you want to check it out, it's there to watch right now. You have to have an eye and a love for micro-budget cinema and the roughness that comes along with it, but it's worthwhile. Yeah, I think most of the films that we recommend are on that kind of rough side because they are made by outsider artists yeah. that don't have the support of like a studio system or money or chops. A real Justin DeClue, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> to, to kind of like make a package that you recognize. Like a lot of these movies that I talk about like, you have to realize, like, okay, so this may not be as good as you usually expect, but all the other elements are stronger than you'll find anywhere else. And there's a sincerity to that work, And right? I think that's really important. Like, when you're talking about outsider artists, and we, especially um, me and Peter, the uh, programmer of What the Film Festival, we talk about, like, heart and, like, how invested the people that made this are, and I think that really extends to an audience watching it. The, the film that I'm going to recommend next is a crazy one, and it's super tough to find. If you look on the internet, you can. I believe on like maybe YouTube, if you write the exact amount of words, like an incantation, it will appear. <laughs> and it's called Metal Messiah. It was made in 1978, and it was directed by Tibor Takis. You may recognize that name, because he went on to direct The Gate, and I, Madman, and The Gate 2. At the time, he was living in Toronto, and he basically made Canada his home. And Metal Messiah is bananas. <laughs> has anybody ever seen John luc Godard's Alphaville? And you were like, hey, I would like a version of that. Instead of um, Let Me Caution, it should be a robot man. <laughs> and he narrates all of it, and he just wanders around downtown Toronto at night solving mysteries. <laughs> and when you hear Metal Messiah, you're like, Oh shit, it's gonna be heavy metal. Oh no, it's just because he's metal and he's a messiah himself. <laughs> it's actually more glam rockish the way that they present the uh, narrative. And it's one of those things that 
on one hand, you're like, wait, have these people ever seen a movie? Because <laughs> it's filled with narration. But at the same time, it has this feel of like they're shooting on these streets of Toronto that don't exist anymore. And they're trying to do something super compelling that's also a musical and has a crucifixion at one point. And it's just like one of those objects that is just singular in the way that it exists. And the fact that the director went on to make like studio pictures it's crazy to me. <laughs> what what does Toronto look like in the film? Because obviously, you know, Alphaville um, yeah. <laughs> makes a satiric point about Paris. Uh, uh, well, in Metal Messiah, everywhere people go are all like dens of sin. So <laughs> uh, it feels like that's how Tibor Takas was picturing Toronto was at the time. That's how I picture it too. <laughs> <laughs> and if you read about producers, they thought they were making like a commercial blockbuster. And when you see the movie, you go, well, you know, A for effort and we'll enjoy all the rest of the stuff. So what else you got us for us, Will? Uh, well, I'm talking about another great Toronto film, uh, this one of the 1980s. And I have to say, when I uh, told them that I would be talking about this movie last night, I kind of forgot what it was about. <laughs> um, it's kind of, because uh, it had been a while since I'd seen it, it's kind of like cruising meets talk radio. It's called City in Panic. Um, and you It know, has an amazing poster where it's like a guy in a trench coat with a knife hovering over a city, I assume Toronto. <laughs> well, it's a movie that I actually hesitate to bring up a bit because watching it again this morning, I realized it's about a subject that's very sensitive in Toronto right now. I mean, it is about homophobic killings. Um, it's about a serial killer named M, which is a tribute to the, tri to the Fritz Lang film M, who you know, targets uh, gay people in the village and it's about a talk radio host who works with the police to find him, trying to get the killer to call into the radio show to reveal his motives and to reveal you know, where he is. Um, and this movie, by the way, was produced by a Schlockmeister company called Video Impact Productions, who created a favorite film of Doug's called Science Craze. Science Craze. Um, so this was a, video, a film that was like made to go direct to VHS, pretty much. So you know, it's a pretty ugly film. It's made in the middle of the AIDS crisis, and it really does exploit that crisis and the anxieties around it. And you know, there are times when a movie like this, as I realized when I was watching it this morning, so maybe this is a teachable moment. But there are times when a movie like this can seem like a bit of a kitschy relic from another age, but then there are times when you watch it in a different context and you realize that it's, it's really not a kitschy relic. It's about something that's very, um, you know, a very sensitive issue. Mm -hmm. That said, it, it's a very incredible Toronto movie, a Toronto 1980s movie. If anybody can remember the opening credits of Open Mic with Mike Bullard. <laughs> uh, we got some Mike Bullard fans in the house. Like, that's the Toronto we see in this movie. It's, you know, it's uh, most of the movie unfolds at night, and like M, the city is a character in the movie, but unlike M, the city doesn't look like a living organism. The city looks very barren. It mm -hmm. looks very lonely. Um, most of it's filmed at night, so we see a lot of neon signs, um, but we don't see anything that surrounds them. And it's a movie that captures certain, you know, civic monuments that have, are long gone. Like, for example, the Oak Leaf Bathhouse, <laughs> um, where a prominent scene in the movie takes place. But, you know, it looks like just a very lonely and sad mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, Sounds alienating like a fun time city. The <laughs> so, I mean, it's an extraordinary movie, and it's also a bit of an indefensible movie. But I think it's a movie worth thinking about and talking about. So switching gears slightly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take everyone back to the year 2000 
where uh, this was before The Walking Dead. This is before the Dawn of the oh. Dead remake. This is before Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And if you really wanted to get your zombie fix at that time, you needed to go to no-budget cinema and the work of Todd Sheets in particular in the 1990s. But I'm going to talk about a Canadian movie. It was made in B.C. called... Meat Market. I remember this film because at the time, as a young cinephile, and I had seen Dawn of the Dead, George Romero's version, I'm like, all I want is zombie films! And the monkey paw went down, and I'm like, no! And so, how is Meat Market? Because, like, I have very distinct memories of it. So here's the thing, and I don't know if director Brian Clement is going to listen to this. <laughs> it's, not, it's not very good. Okay. Uh, however, it's extremely ambitious, mm -hmm. which for me, that's even better than being good for a lot of these <laughs> yeah. cases, right? Because this is a guy who took every single person he knew, every resource that he had, and he's like, I'm going to put it all into this movie, and hopefully it'll end up being watchable. And it is. It's definitely watchable. It has a really complex plot with vampires and <laughs> sci-fi elements, and it's very, of course, post-apocalyptic. And it's very, very violent. Once again, there is a theme crossing through the movies I'm choosing. But it's, uh, it's ambitious in a way where he uses very complex camera movements, which you don't usually mm -hmm. see in no-budget cinema. Uh, and the thing that kind of... I won't say it drew me to it. However, if you watch the unrated version of it, which is pretty commonly available, in the final third of the movie, it turns into a hardcore pornography. Um, <laughs> There's nothing you love more than watching a movie and then 60 minutes look, in, you're like, whoa, mom, dad, I think you're gonna have to leave the room. It's hard to convince your friends, you, you know this probably, Justin, oh, yes. some. it's hard to convince your friends to show up to film a movie. It's hard to convince them to get covered in blood and gore. Mm -hmm. It's hard, really hard to get someone to take their clothes off for no money. <laughs> It's really, 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 really hard to get them to fuck on camera uh, and then film Challenge it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> and put that out into the world for all time, right? Listen, now I get it. Meat market. Boom. <laughs> Makes so much sense. And this director made two sequels. Two sequels. It's a meat market trilogy. I have not seen the follow-ups. Obviously, I was a big fan of the first. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, it's, it's fairly commonly available. Mm. And uh, for fans of, of again, micro-budget DIY-type cinema, there's a lot to be inspired by there. Well, so, I haven't seen it, but I have seen hardcore pornography, uh -huh. and I'm, I'm a fan. Well, just combine that, combine that with the zombies, and you basically got it. Oh, boy. Oh, no. I'm having flashbacks of Repenetrator now. Um, so, <laughs> the Repenetrator fans in the house? <laughs> I'm glad the director's here. Um, so, we're going to switch gears for this last one, because I'm going to talk about Canada's first feature-length animated film. <laughs> Which was made for kids, and what's crazy is not only had I never heard about it, it's almost unavailable, and even when I typed it into Google, like, nothing was coming out. It's a film that in French is called Le Village Enchanté. It's, in English, it's The Magic Village. It was made in 1955, and it was made by some NFB people who had no experience doing animation. <laughs> it was like three guys, but they just did it on their time off, and they wanted to make the first feature-length film. At the time, they said, oh, we want to compete with Disney. And when you see it, you're like, you're more competing with Hanna-Barbera. But when I read what the plot was, which was some religious settlers come to Canada and set up, and I'm like, oh, no. And then they meet a werewolf that they have to defeat. And I, like, took a moment and I went, they meet a werewolf? Is this film animated? 1955? And then I started watching the movie. Boom, there's actually a werewolf in it. And that's what the plot of the film is. It's very simply animated. Like, it's a lot of, like, people chasing each other. It's also weirdly hyper-violent. Like, people will be stabbed in the head with, like, a board with a nail sticking out of it. But at the same time, it's super charming. And it's the kind of film that there's 
out of nowhere a moment of crazy visual ingenuity. And it's also a film that at the end, it all gets solved with God just <laughs> fixing everything, <laughs> which is always amazing. And the fact that it's, you can get it, they remastered it in Quebec, but you have to be looking for it, and right. then nobody talks about it, mm. that's like a shame. And I think almost every Canadian movie we're mentioning, like that's a fact, except for Meat Market, which is readily available. <laughs> well, that, it's really strange to think, I mean, that, that's not that long after Snow White, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean that, it should be like a core part of Canadian cinema. Like we are, animation is in our cinematic blood. And National Film Board. The only way I stumble upon it is, as I do most weekdays flipping through a Canadian encyclopedia of film. <laughs> I can't think of a Canadian animated film. Uh, rock, like and rule? rock and Rule, that's a uh, heavy metal. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, Is heavy metal Canadian? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was. Okay, there you go. Uh, so what are you going to go with next? Uh, so I'm bringing up this movie, um, not because I particularly like it, but just because <laughs> I would like to know if anybody has actually seen it. Uh, it's a movie that for many years I thought I had dreamed, and then I saw that it was on YouTube, and I saw it... Uh, I saw it like repeatedly on the Space Channel as a kid, and it really bothered me, and I didn't <laughs> like it. Um, but it's called The Christmas Martian, also known as Le Martien de Noël. <laughs> it's a uh, 1971. Wait, wait, we'll go. Somebody else is replacing it. It's a 1971 Quebecois film. It was made at a time when Quebec was mostly known just for softcore pornography. So this was a movie that was really going against the grain in terms of their popular cinema. So 60 minute in, it doesn't take a turn or anything like that? The movie is only an hour long, actually. So So it got out just in time. Um, and what's it about? Well, it's about a Martian who comes to uh, Quebec and is, uh, you know, gets in some Keystone Cops kind of <laughs> chases with police, but befriends uh, two kids and then eventually goes back to his hometown and they have a bunch of, you know, they fly and they do. Do you a remember bunch what the Martian looks like? Because that was yeah, the most disturbing. Yeah, part. yeah, this this is it. He looks kind of like Ed Wynn from, uh, <laughs> you know, from Mary Poppins. And you know, in my memory, he sounds like Ed Wynn too. You know, kind of that uh, Ed Wynn voice. But um, hey, it's not bad, is it? <laughs> uh, Will, where'd you go? <laughs> well, the main thing I remember, like the production values of the movie are basically on par with like Santa Claus Conquers the Martian. I remember that the it's, Martian, doesn't he wear like a net the entire time? He wears like, like, it looks like, you know, how bank robbers will put a stocking on their head. <laughs> yeah. it, lo- it looks like that. And with his kind of doughy face, it looks <laughs> really disturbing. I'm a Martian, kids. <laughs> but the most disturbing part of the movie is he gives himself an English name, which is Pooh Flower. And the most disturbing part of the movie is he and the kids just just repeat that over and over again. It's like, I, I'm named Pooh Flower. And the kids go, Pooh Flower, Pooh Flower. And it goes, I swear, for about four minutes. Just them going, Pooh Flower. This is the moment that just lodged itself into my brain and just bothered me very deeply. And I feel like I actually had nightmares about it. Well, so if anybody else has seen The Christmas Martian, maybe we could just commiserate and talk I mean, about it. I mean, like, kids film in Canada, like, there was a whole series that were done. And most people remember stuff like The Peanut Butter Solution, which, if you talk about the plot of that, it's crazy. <laughs> it makes you sound like, uh, uh, I probably can't say a word, but what it would sound like, you sound like, Le Belle de Peanut Butter. <laughs> but the thing about The Peanut Butter Solution is a lot of people have vague memories of this movie about hair growing and not being able to stop, and they don't really know the, the title, and they, they, they connect. It's like, what, The Peanut Butter Solution? What the fuck is and this I, all about? And I don't know why, but like teachers, especially when I was a kid, would put it on all the time. They're like, you know what kids love? The Peanut Butter Solution. They probably got it for free from some <laughs> yeah. government body, right? <laughs> Right. That and the Terry Fox story. Oh, God. <laughs> so what's the last Dreadful. one you got for us? Uh... Well, Justin, when you first asked me about picking uh, strange Canadian cinema... We all went to the same one. Well, Frank I Angelo. Went... 
I just the first thing I thought was Science Crazed, which again, if you haven't seen Science Crazed, please seek it out. I think there's still VHS. Yeah, we have VHS for sale here. DVDs. It's pretty. It's the greatest Canadian movie ever made. I think, oh you know, no. Well, I hope you're going to mention a second one because I think that's the greatest Canadian uh, film. Justin probably thinks that Things is the greatest Canadian yes. movie ever made. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Things is a movie that. It ends with like they ripped it off Suspiria. It's like you have experienced <laughs> things and you have experienced things. You're gonna be like low in your chair and you're getting sweaty and you're like, what's real anymore? I would say the fifth time I watched things was when it really clicked for me. And we're not even we're not even joking, right? We've watched it like multiple oh, yeah. times. It's it's more like a place that you inhabit. <laughs> yeah. But I, because I love no-budget cinema, because I love micro-budget cinema, I chose a movie, a documentary, that's actually fairly well-known. Some people here might know it, but it's about a, someone who creates a no-budget cinema. Mm -hmm. And this is Kung Fu Elliot, which came out in 2014. Uh, it had, I think, some screenings yeah, here in Toronto. Yeah, it played at Hot Docs, I believe. Yeah, I think it played at Hot Docs. It's about this filmmaker in Nova Scotia. He makes these martial arts movies for no money. He is himself a martial arts master. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is he? Uh, well, that's it's a really good question. Mm. Uh, and and uh, so he would sell these outside of like convenience stores in Nova Scotia. He became kind of this eccentric local personality. They decided to make this documentary about him. And about three quarters of the way through, the whole documentary twists in, it goes from being basically like an American movie for people who like that documentary. So it's like Canadian movie, then it turns into something entirely different, a little bit more disturbing to be honest, mm. and it has a really fucked up ending. But the best moment in it is th this guy who, by this point in the movie, you know that he doesn't know martial arts at all. He, he doesn't know, he, he's not even very, like when he's even moving around, it looks like he doesn't really know what to do. <laughs> he goes to China and is introduced to a Shaolin monk to give him martial arts lessons. And it is the most cringy, most unbelievable moment. One of the things, most unbelievable moments I've ever seen on film. It's just, you watch it and you're like, I can't, how far is he gonna let this go? And he just lets it go further and further and further. You have to see it for that moment alone. And it's I don't wanna spoil it, but like, he's disappeared off the map, hasn't he? The guy that stars in the movie? He went to China. I, I, uh, I interviewed the filmmakers after it came out because I was obsessed with this movie. I still am. And they were like, we haven't heard from him in a while. Then it played at a Fantastic Fest and he reappeared. They thought he was going to join them at Fantastic Fest even though it, it's got it, the ending of the movie they're not on good terms for mm -hmm. anyone who's seen it uh, but then he did not show up for it and since then they, I think they were actually thinking of doing some sort of follow-up thing to find out where he is he's a very interesting character but this documentary basically ruined his entire life Oof. he can't uh, stand on street corners anymore selling VHS's <laughs> okay so just to go down the line we could say the movies that we were recommending just in case people are like, I didn't have time to grab a pencil and paper. It was, for me, Metal Messiah, <laughs> Le Village Enchanté, AKA The Magic Village, the one where religious people fight a werewolf and it's animated, and uh, The Adventures of Faustus Bidgood. Okay, so unqualified recommendation, <laughs> recommendation, Ryan's Babe, qualified recommendation, City in Panic, maybe not a recommendation, but just a, just a question mark, The Christmas Martian. <laughs> And my three were first order of one kung fu killing spree, which you can find on YouTube. Uh, Meat Market from the year 2000. I think you can purchase copies of that still even on Amazon. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not as obscure as the rest. And Kung Fu Elliot, which I think recently got a physical release that's available to buy. It's also on iTunes. It's it's pretty pretty easy to track down. And I'll tell you, you gotta see it. That one is really a high recommendation. And if anybody in the room here has any other crazy recommendations that we need to know about, feel free to come and see me and recommend them. And I hope Sicilian Vampire. <laughs> if you haven't seen that movie, you have to check it out. And um, everybody here, I hope I'll see you at Anchor Zone at 4 o'clock. 
Uh, like uh, we've been mentioning, it's on 35 millimeter, which is that's insane. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and Did you, yeah, E1 just said, "Hey, we have a print here." <laughs> yeah. Because I went, us. "Hey, I want to play this movie," and they went, "Oh." I think we have a print like propping a door open or something like that. You can play that if you guys want to. And, and then we went, you're going to yeah. send it back and straight to the incinerator. <laughs> yeah. They're going to get it and they're going to be like, thank you. And they just like toss it <laughs> over their shoulder into the garbage. Unbelievable. Anyway, well, thank you very much for being on this, uh, Doug. It was my pleasure. And thanks for everybody that listened. Woo! Yay! And Will too, of course. <laughs> As per usual, you can send us letters at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. This episode and the list of movies that we talked about will be available on the blog posts that will pop up at filmtrap.com. You can follow me on Twitter at J and Will at WillSloanESQ. And you can also follow me on my letterbox, which is just my name, Justin DeClue. Uh, D-E-C-L-O-U-X. Me and Will will be back next week with an episode on Paul Verhoeven. But because we didn't have time to record an end tag, I'm going to leave you here with a small chunk from the commentary that me and Will did for uh, the Blu-ray release, Monster with a Movie Camera, which is a film that I completely recut and resubtitled from scratch from a Thai giant monster movie that's already a bunch of films edited together. Uh, we talk about giant monster movies on this commentary track. We talk about some secrets we've never revealed anywhere else. And we also talk if we feel like we've succeeded at life. And this can only be listened in its entirety by purchasing the Blu-ray, which you can do at the website for Can Make Productions. So if you enjoy this chunk that we're including here, uh, go to the website, order it, and I'll send it right off to you. And as far as Patreon goes, it'll just be a little bit later this week, but we're going to record our usual episode, and we'll also be posting soon that detour commentary track that we've been promising for a while. But until then, enjoy this chunk of the commentary me and Will did for Monster with a Movie Camera. But also, like, just watching them, watching watching a big monster jump up and down and, and fight, like, it's so liberating yeah so joyous yeah and there's something special about the idea of these monsters destroying buildings where it's the kind of destruction of stuff that you know but there's no consequences to it yeah. as well like yeah. you never see in like power rangers these bodies like littering the street or stuff like that yeah and like even the really high-end godzilla movies the ones where they can afford to make a beautiful cityscape there's something unreal about the city. Like when he when he knocks over a building, it's clearly a box. Yes. There, you, you don't see the, the insides of all everything in the building falling out. Because it doesn't matter. Yeah. I remember as a kid, though, getting pissed when uh, a friend of mine who said he was a Godzilla fan was like, oh, you can see Tonka on the side of the truck before it gets crushed. Yeah. And I, even as a kid, I was like, fuck you, man. Like, you think they just make these movies like... Like, they don't take the time to build this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, like, that's the tough thing about... <laughs> Sorry, I just laughed at something a little bit on screen. Is that, like, so much work goes into this stuff. Even this shitty-looking Thai version, like, it's not easy to do. Yeah, you'll notice they're not uh, stomping a city in this, because cities are expensive to make. Oh, they do briefly at the end. Oh, okay. And it is the most ramshackle city you will <laughs> ever see. I, I feel like um, 
the relationship of King Dark, who's the silver guy, and this friend here is like me and Will. Like, Will loves acting. That's his thing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you should check out the, the film Impossible Horror to see, <laughs> see a sample of some of my work. Uh, this King Dark character, though, in the Thai footage, it's so violent like and out of place that it also uh, reminded me of, like as a kid, how scarring this kind of violence would be. Did you ever have that problem? Um, there were definitely movies that, I mean, certainly not giant monster movies and no. stuff, but there were definitely movies that upset me. I, when I, when I think of, when I think of them, uh, Batman Returns was probably <laughs> the movie that I found most, most upsetting as a kid. Uh, specifically the scene where the penguin bites off a guy's nose. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> like something that you can... You, you can think of it happening, right? Like, it's not cartoony enough. And, and also, Batman Returns opens with the parent, the parents of the penguin throwing the bassinet into the sewer, uh, which is something that hits a little too close to home when you're three years old. It, it, I, I think of this every time that I see my friend who has kids uh, show movie to his children. I'm like... Man, like anything could set them off, and you just like won't know what it is. Like, they, yeah, it's totally random. They watched uh, the Star Wars prequels, and that night after watching the third one, uh, his daughter woke up screaming in horror because of the way that Anakin Skywalker was like burned alive and mm -hmm. his arms and limbs were cut off, which is not something you think will be impactful. Be or that's not true. You don't think that'll be in the movie, and then when it happens, and you're with a child, they're like, whoa. Yeah. Like, isn't this movie for kids? Mm -hmm. Like, even what's on screen right now is, like, naked people being stabbed with pitchforks. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me think, like, well, who was this movie for? Mm. Like, it's for us. Yeah. <laughs> just just for us. Yeah. Did you ever have any dreams, Will, that you wanted to achieve that you were never able to, like the character in this film? Um, every day. <laughs> really? Uh, no. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like... Um, God, what what are my dreams? I don't know. I've been feeling pretty good about my life really? lately. I've got two uh, two successful podcasts. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I I write often enough. I have uh, full time employment. You're and a good. Comfortable lifestyle. I just remember you saying once that like Bob Dylan did this by the time he was. Well, <laughs> okay. I mean, like when I start when I start seeing like the absolute just you know you know here's here's the thing about uh, about it like mm -hmm. I I. Uh, look at certain of these titans and I think, you know what, I'm probably never going to be as good as that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Even I was just reading Dave Kerr's new book of film criticism. Yeah. Uh, and I was reading that thinking, God, this guy is just light years ahead of me. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you gotta got to reconcile yourself to that. Yeah, at a certain point, you have to realize, and I mean, this film doesn't really get into it too much. Well, it does. That, like, sometimes if you just do what you want to do mm -hmm. and that you like to do and that even just one person says like hey i enjoyed that that was fun like that will often be enough yeah but you can't work in a vacuum like i don't know if you can do that i know i can't like i used to be able to when i was really a kid. you know like when i was 12 or 13 i would just like write stuff for no audience because there was no like audience for it so you think that something like the internet or social media gave you an expectation of having an audience uh probably i mean you know the minute i could write stuff on the internet for people to see i did and instantly you know? they could give you a reaction yeah like if somebody would like sign the guest book of your website <laughs> that was wait did you make a website when you were a kid oh, i had a monty python fan page when what? i was in uh, grade six yeah i did i did <laughs>